You're listening to Around Comics, episode 94. Chicago, this is Around Comics, a roundtable discussing topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Brian Salazar. Our regular host, Chris Neesman, is off on his honeymoon, so I'll be filling in this week. With me, as always, is the man behind the magic, the funniest man in podcasting, Tom Caters. It's going to be awkward this week, I can already tell, because I'm going to have to read more. <laughs> that's, not good for this, that's not good for anyone. And joining us, as always, is the man of a dozen voices, and especially the voice of Word Balloon, John Suntress. Heidi Ho, I hope uh, Chris is having a fine honeymoon. I, I'm and not I, sure. I'm sure he'll post it about it. It was a coin toss. Honey, uh, if we could just one more day. I'm just saying. I'm just asking. This humidity is killing my absolute editions that I brought with me. Remember when he was telling us how he, he couldn't bring his laptop? And his he, <laughs> he, did, he did. He did. He did brought that. his laptop yeah. on his Because he's been posting to the forum during his yeah. honeymoon. <laughs> just consummated marriage, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I'm looking forward to breakfast in the morning, dot, dot, dot. dot. No, it's all like, Captain America's awesome. <laughs> like, that's what he's thinking about his honeymoon. I, honey, I'm really sorry. I have to get off this thought about the JLA-JSA crossover uh, with the Legion before, before we before continue. Before it floats away. <laughs> before we continue. Uh, let's see what our, it our was, I was wondering why he was Googling, uh, you know, comic conventions in Tahiti the last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ooh, look. Maybe she is appearing. And, uh, and also... Also joining us to, uh, this week is comics veteran and our pal Hillary Barda. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? That's his uh, Lake Thompson voice. You're a handsome man, uh, Hillary Barda. Well, you only did one of your thousand voices, so I thought Adam I'd do one thousand. of the other. Yeah. Very cool. I'm fine, you. thank you for asking. It's Good. actually 500, but he's got a male and female for each one. Sal, I was on uh, I was on uh, the ESPN uh, Chicago affiliate tonight doing Jerry Reinsdorf talking about the Sox and the Bulls. <laughs> You're kidding we, me. We feel that we got a good team, and, you know. <laughs> oh, great. You were interviewing Jerry? Or no, you were uh, impersonating? No, McNeil, yeah, McNeil called me up. Oh, He's right. like, yeah, because apparently uh, Reinsdorf would not come on. O- he would only come on to talk about the Jackie Robinson weekend last weekend and not talk about the Bulls and the Sox last week. And uh, it's like, okay. what, are you nuts? It's like, dude, you own these two teams. They're in action. End of the season for the Bulls. Sox kind of struggling at the beginning of the baseball season. Well, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about Jackie Robinson and the importance for him in the game. <laughs> so right? you came on doing... That's, and I did Jerry Ryan. Very nice. And it was on uh, uh, ESPN 1000? Yes. And basically it's like Dick Tracy's villain mumbles. It's like Tune, Jerry tune in right now. <laughs> it's on now. If you could have posed a question to Jerry Reinsdorf, it would have been, Dude, are you nuts? That, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, kind of. He's He's been very cool. I actually, uh, he knows that I do. Not as nuts like, as Jackie Robinson. He goes, is that <laughs> really, you really, you really you think that's how I talk? And I'm like, yeah. He, he does. And he goes, I hate the way I sound. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, sorry, man. I'm like, yeah, but you got money, you'll get over it. <laughs> yeah, well, He's no a good kidding. guy. Actually, honestly, I How about I like that no-hitter? Huh? Very hmm? cool. Mark Burley, no nice Welcome to baseball, Cat. C. Claymore, I'll bring it back to comics. Huge Sox fan. Yes, he is. Walking Sammy made up for it by picking him off. Yes. That was nice. That's brilliant. That was sweet. See where Chicago. Hey, and a little trivia. Someone brought to my attention in the box score. Burley faced less than the minimum because Sammy's walk is not an official at bat. 
So he only faced 26. Wow. Interesting cool. little, interesting well, little Tim, tidbit Kirk, for you Kirk baseball Kirk fans Jim out there. said it's one of the few games where a guy hit for the cycle, Grand Slam, and no, no, no. It was uh, two, well, yeah, well, two home runs by the same guy, Jim okay. Tomey, a Grand oh, Slam right. by Jermaine Dye, and a no-no. No. It never had happened before. Yeah, so yeah. that's kind of cool. Pretty cool. All right, anyway, before we go <laughs> too further into baseball talk, I want to remind everyone that this episode is presented by InStockTrades.com. Waiting for the trade has never been easier. InStockTrades.com offers a huge selection of the collected editions you need. InStockTrades.com is your source for trade paperbacks, deluxe hardcovers, essentials, showcases, archives, absolute editions, omnibus editions, and more. All at great discounted prices. And remember that all orders over $50 ship free. Whether you're buying an absolute edition or catching up with showcases and essentials, InStockTrades.com is your new best friend. So say goodbye to your old one. As <laughs> an online hurt. store has replaced that. them. Later, Gary Price. <laughs> InStock Trades has got my BFF ring now. And as always, Around Comics is recorded every Friday night at 7 o'clock at Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles, located at 4835 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. If you're in the area, please stop by. We would love to meet you. When you're here, remember to ask about Dark Tower's pull list membership. It's one of the best you'll find anywhere. Dark Tower has a great selection of mainstream comics, indie comics, trades, as well as statues, uh, action figures, and quarter books. As I Tom, As Tom found out today, a great selection of quarter books. Come to Dark Tower for all your comics and collectible needs. Yeah, you uh, know, really thank God for you. I'm glad you explained the pull list because that meant something else when I was a kid. <laughs> I, get <your laughs> I get your pull list. Oh, he's on the pull list. <laughs> um, you found an assload of amazing quarter Silver books. Age and, and Bronze Age comics. And, and it's I am so jealous. It's going to inspire a new segment later in the episode. I mean, it, it, it smells like the crawl space when the comics have been rotting there for like 10 it's years. It smells like, like fun died. Exactly. <laughs> and it smells even better than it did. You're saying his ass load smells like a fun died? I, I'm fun not died. Sure. I'm not sure what I'm doing here. And speaking of fun dying, oh. your round comics experience <laughs> nice. isn't complete until you've read this week's Long Box of <clears> Love. <throat> Each Thursday episode of Round Comics is a wonderfully handcrafted wooden web comic it's from wooden. Brian Bull. Wooden. Check it out every Thursday at www.aroundcomics.com. All right. Well, this uh, this week, well, normally we do a, uh, a, a uh, an interview or a topic discussion, and this week we're kind of doing a little bit of both. We we uh, invited Hillary back just because we love talking with Hillary and and his vast knowledge of the. <laughs> The history of comics. It was air, nice. it was nice air quotes. You're old, man. <laughs> my geezer lord. You're old, man. That's what they want. My geezer lord. Uh, what was it like when Stan Lee was a kid, Hillary? <laughs> no, but it's cool, man, because, yeah, you grew up reading them and, and have been... You how long have you been in uh, I can't even industry. remember. Come on. When have no, no. Things get blurry back when I was doing drugs. But exactly. uh, <laughs> um, uh, Yeah, since... since uh, well, it's been 20 years, maybe. Cool, man. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Do you remember what your first published work was? Yeah, I'm not telling you. Come on. Uh, was it a letter to Challenges <laughs> of the Unknown? Oh, we're not counting on, letters, man. are we? Got, you know. I, I already told you, I had a letter printed in Charlton uh, at one point. Which, which book? Um, Son I, of Vulcan? No. <laughs> Son of Vulcan 8. Look for the Hillary Barter letter. Uh, I think it was in... Um, in the collected edition. It was in... Uh, uh Phantom. Okay, cool. Phantom. cool. Very Dr. nice. Dr. Dr. The Phantom is that was beautiful. Awesome. And, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Was it a negative letter? It's a re- no, not at all. <laughs> it was a real, you know, brown-nosing fanboy letter. Yeah. Nice. I wish I lived in the Skull Cave with my own dog <laughs> and knife and, and gun that I never use. <laughs> <laughs> and had ancestors Rochelle. that also wore the same clothes as me. Do they stink? 
Does his leotard stink? <laughs> Signed, Hillary Barta. <laughs> Dear Hillary. <laughs> Thank you for your inquiry. <laughs> all right, all right. I am fine. Um, John Newton. All right, uh, Hillary, uh, you've been in comics for over 20 years now. Uh, what was it like breaking in for you, and what was the industry like then? Uh, well, I, I remember being told that I got in at a good time. I think they might have meant that if I had tried five years later, they never would have hired me because I sucked. <laughs> Did they say that in Wink? Like, yeah. You got in yeah, at a good exactly. time. Hillary, you're lucky you got in when you did because we never would have hired you now. Yeah, but, Much better guys now. But there were a number of artists, you know, close to my age, and we were all trying to break in. And we would go to the Chicago Comic Book Convention. What, around what year was this? Well, we were hanging around at the conventions from the 70s. I mean, I, I even went to one when it was downtown at the YMCA. and uh, In the showers. But <laughs> <laughs> The books are all so yeah, Hello, wet. boys. Don't be up and I'll tell you all about it. That wasn't a convention, Hill. I mean, uh, yeah, at least not a comic book convention. But uh, the, first, yeah, the first time I showed my portfolio to anybody, it was at the probably the Pitt Congress downtown. Cool. That's, that's where they held the convention before they moved it out to Rosemont. And uh, you know, I was I was really lucky. The first time I showed my portfolio, it was to Al Milgram, who was then an editor at Marvel. And Al said, "This is good. You know, I think I could get you some work." And I hadn't really struggled. <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, I was working as a floor sander at the time. That was fun, but uh, you know, I had, I wasn't Ooh, trying to break in. I got floor sander. Trying to break into the floor sanding business. Is, uh, <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Enough floor sanding talk, please. This is what it's been like. Yeah. Um, okay. All right, but but before you go into that part, of it, what was it about comic? Why why were you trying to break into comics? What was it about comics? Were, well, were you a I fan before that? And and yeah, artistically, I'd, did you? I mean, what was your background? before you got into comics? I've been doing artistic stuff since I was a kid. And then I, I think I, I was... I, I, while I read comics when I was young, I didn't really think of comics either as a career or really as an art form that I'd be involved in until maybe high school. And in high school, I, I was in Evanston at the time, and there, were, there was this... Uh, I think it was Graphis, a uh, European arts magazine, and they did an issue on comics around the world, and suddenly I'm looking at both classic American comics, things like The Spirit that I hadn't really seen before, European books, Italian, Japanese, and... The the influences then were that... It's interesting, because it, weren't a lot of those artists brought in to work in the mainstream because they were they were cheaper? I mean, wasn't it like that Filipino oh, well, explosion at D.C.? Oh, well, all that stuff happened in comics, yeah. I mean, so when I was... I got exposed to this stuff in high school, and at that time in the 70s, there was a kind of a renaissance going on in comics because a whole new generation of people had come in that were comic fans. I mean, prior to that, artists got into comics. Really, it was sort of like comics was a stepping stone on the way into either illustration or some other field, but comics were considered pretty low class. And there were artists who made it their career and really, you know, did wonderful work, but it wasn't terribly respected as an art form. You know, and that changed in the '70s, I think, because all these guys came in, these young kids who grew up loving these artists. They revered the form and the people, you know, that they were emulating, and things started changing. But anyway, I was exposed to all this stuff outside of American comics too, and they weren't necessarily working here. But it was just this kind of just—I didn't realize comics could be all these different kinds of things, and it, it was a—it was a wonderful time to kind of 
uh, be alive, and I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. We can cut <laughs> this part out. It's a great time. Yeah. Who some of those guys? No, but uh, what I was going to say, actually, what's interesting is uh, back then it was a lot harder to see a lot of this stuff. Nowadays, you can click, you can Google any artist you want, right? Whether they're in comics or whether they, you know, draw matchbook covers, you probably can find their work. Back then, you know, discovering their stuff either in a box in the back of an old magazine or comic book store, or finding it in a magazine like this. It was it was you know it was a revelation you know because this stuff wasn't easily available. I was going to ask how how did you get exposed to that stuff? Was well, I cite that one magazine because that was a big thing. But once I saw that these people are out there, and Eisner, for instance, was he was he was in there because Eisner was somebody I didn't really know much about. I then went into the comic stores and found out that he'd been working in undergrounds, that he had this whole history, you know, and and, and I started buying spirits, and uh, eventually Kitchen came out with spirit reprints which was great. Um, I bought the early little ones, and the black and white, the, even before the, the magazine came yeah, out, you know, and all that uh, stuff. Books. So, it, you know, there's just... Uh, I don't know. You, I just Once you I, notice stuff, you start... Yeah, you just... One thing yeah. leads you to another. And, you know, one artist, you find one artist. But, I mean, when I, growing up as a kid, I loved old movies. I watched old black... We had a black and white television set. And to me, everything was in black and white. I didn't even know The Wizard of Oz was in color halfway through. Wow. You know, it's <laughs> blowing your mind when you said well, like, We didn't have a color TV the entire time I was growing up. And I, was, I would stay up late, and I, I'd even sneak down after I, I, I supposedly was in bed. You know, I'd go down and watch The Late Show, and I'd watch these old movies. And I loved old detective and crime movies and comedies and musicals, The Marx Brothers, all that stuff. And finding out that there was this corresponding history of comics was a wonderful thing. Because mm-hmm. I just loved the period of the 40s and 30s, 40s, and 50s. You know. So uh, so after that, I mean, when did you sort of make the decision that, that, that it was something you wanted to try and do for a living? Well, I knew that, uh, I mean, I, I loved film and I loved comics. And for a while I kind of pursued film. But it was just easier to get into comics. and And it's easier because you can go to a comic book convention and there's a comic book editor right there and in those days they would have portfolio review uh, you mm-hmm. know, time, time set aside either. the guy would be yeah. sitting there and you'd walk right up and say hi Mr. Editor you know would you please take a look at my portfolio and they would critique your work or you know not but it was very organized very accessible and uh, you know you Everybody I knew that wanted to get into comics did it that way. You I mentioned mean, Milgram, who, who were some of the other guys. Well, Al Milgram was the guy who actually... Did. And I showed my work, I think, at the same convention. I might have showed my work to a couple of other people. And believe me, I was pretty bad. You know, my, my samples, you know, my portfolio was terrible. But um, What was in it? Well, probably there, weren't, there wasn't much comics, because I mostly had illustrations and stuff. So, so, so they thought to hire me as an inker, because I wasn't showing them comics. I was showing them pen and ink work. Right. So uh, Al said he'd give me work, and it probably took like about two years after he gave me like two pages of the Defenders to ink over Ron Perlman. <laughs> wow. And it was it was like, you know, when I look back at anything I did in the first five years or so, it's real bad, but that was particularly bad. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was, you know, he, that issue. So people can go. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> conventions and say, please and laugh at you. Oh, I, even, oh, I even got an X-Men thing, which I won't even tell you about because you'll find that, but I'm not, that, was, that was pretty bad. Oh, we'll I, find it. I anyway. butchered something there. I was and say who, who was eventually I got an issue that. of the Defenders and then they offered me the thing or something. And I, you know, all that stuff was. I, I didn't know what I was doing then. I, I really. How didn't long know did it take for you to like? Is there a point now where you look back at stuff and say that's pretty good? 
You know, like at well, old where you work stuff. Uh, that would, it would be foolish for, for me to do that at any point, probably. <laughs> but no, I, I I stopped hating what I was doing. Yeah. When, was the, when, <laughs> when I, I realized stuff. how bad that stuff, I first had to go through <laughs> yeah. that period of realization because yeah. when you're doing it, you're not doing bad work intentionally. You yeah, think you just, you're doing yeah. good work. I remember I was um, I, I was working on something uh, in my apartment. I had a party and I had some art out uh, in my studio and. Um, George Freeman uh, is an artist, a Canadian guy, fantastic artist. He's done a number of things over the years. He, at that time, he was drawing Captain Canuck, I think. But he's done a lot of things. And um, According to uh, comicbookdatabase.com, <laughs> you yes? did issue 243 in a- April of 1989. Uh, the Ashes was the title of that book. What's that? Uh, uh, Uncanny X-Men. But that's probably not what you're talking no, about. No, that's no, probably no, 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 no. They won't even talk about uh, you don't. I'm you not won't find I'm it not gonna, gonna, Are these the, unbilled assignments? Yeah, it's, it's no fair to... No, no, it was billed, and the, I'm not going to give you the information. <laughs> to go look it up on your little computer there. Sorry. Yeah, no, computer. I, I, I inked uh, Dave Cockerm on a, on a backup story and stuff. Oh, some X-book. Wow. And it, it was really... I just Like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. It was terrible. I mean, I, I really... It was painful. And I, the fact that I got another job after doing any of those jobs, I, I still but you find went, it you, you went through the process of... You know, wh- you were talking about being at that party with George. Well, George came into, was looking at what I was doing, and he said, Hillary, uh, first of all, I didn't know George was going to be there. It was kind of a fun surprise. And George Freeman is, you know, fantastic artist then. I mean, he really was really, really good. And so I was, you know, anything he said, I would listen to. He said, what do you, what do you, why are you inking with a pen? He said, you're trying to make a pen look like a brush. I was too timid to, to fight my way because it takes a little while to get a brush to do what you want to do. You kind of got to wrestle it, you know, get a get the feel for it. A pen, you can pretty much put it right down in the paper and you can get a line. Yeah. Brush, you know, it's splashing all over the place. You can't control the line weight as easily because it's all about touch. And he said, Hillary, just get rid of that pen and pick up a brush. And pretty much from that day, I went out and bought a bunch of brushes. I tried using the brushes, and I stuck with it, and that's what I use mostly, you know. And uh, it really changed the way I work. And I started liking my work more at that point. Did other artists help you along, or were there editors, too, that were helping you in terms well, of developing better storytelling? Yeah, there's, there were, you know, I don't know what kind of programs they have now at, at companies, but they used to have certain editors that they would use to break in new talent. Or maybe that was something they liked to do, but they had, um, I remember Carl Potts at Marble was a great guy, because, first of all, Carl was just a really decent, you know, uh, generous guy, and he would give you a lot of time, and he'd want to work with people that were really, you know, talent in the raw, or people that he knew had talent but weren't, weren't, weren't quite getting there yet, and he'd help you along. And one thing he would send you is a, a photocopied version of a book called The Five C's of Cinematography. And it was a book about filmmaking, but it you know a lot of the rules of filmmaking can apply to comics in terms of uh, the direction of a camera or in the reader's, you know... Composition of the panel. Well, the keeping continuity from shot to shot or yeah. panel to panel in comics, you know, those sort of things can cross over from... You know, there are rules about visual storytelling that that were in that book, but also subtle things like heroic camera angles and yeah. and left to right and, and just cultural reasons for, for why this is positive, this is negative. Anyway, it's a fascinating book, and... I know he gave that to every freelancer that ever you know started out in comics working for him. And uh, Carl also, <laughs> he told me a lesson. It was like this Zen thing, which is um, it was mostly about inking, but I guess it's about drawing in particular. But it's like you need to tighten up and loosen up. 
And essentially, you need to get the skills. You need to be on. You know, you need to have that craft honed. But when you're drawing, you have to throw out thinking about it and, and all that planning out the window, and just be loose and draw, because you want the feeling to be free and easy. And I mean, it sounds like an impossible, you know, like Zen, you know, puzzle. Uh, Tighten up. The how do you do this, yes. Master Barta? How, how master do you master Barta. using? How do you do? Well, I still haven't figured it out because I'm still way too tight, but. But uh, you're always working on it. But that's hopefully. but no, I mean, but Carl, you know, Carl, you know, he he had a goal. He had a goal of some kind of idea of perfection or something. He he, he tried to push you gently in in the right direction, and that's what you need when you're young. You need somebody who's encouraging you, but also helping you and <laughs> giving you technical advice. So well, uh, that helps a lot. I'm always sort of curious about uh, you know when you start off and you've mentioned the fact that at a certain point you sort of liked your work better you hate you I stopped start, hating you it you stopped hating I stopped it. hating it you stopped hating your work and uh <laughs> now I just like it I just dislike it intensely when you're sort of working you mentioned you know like hating your older stuff and at a certain point you sort of learned to like not hate it is there ever like a palpable sense of balancing like especially being a freelance artist when you get something and you were talking earlier about like deadlines is it ever like an issue where you you know, a lot of people say you never finish like a piece of art. You just walk away from sacrifice. Is that something is you, you have to like, learn? Yeah, yeah. As a friend of mine used to say, "It is done, therefore it is good." Yeah, yeah is that like something you have to teach yourself well, to like sort of accept? Uh, well, if you're going to be a professional and you want to get another job, I have missed some deadlines. I have blown some deadlines big time, and you know, you get hell to pay for it. You know, you. And there are a lot of people who are really talented artists. And I remember somebody used to tell a story about Alan Weiss. The guy, his work would come in to the office at Marvel, and all these guys would be really pissed off. Because Alan Weiss in the 70s was pretty young, and he'd just, just, just lovingly and laboriously render all this detail into his pages. Realistic anatomy yeah. by comic book standards, you know, subtle expressions and things. And the old guys would be like, oh man, now we're all going to have to do this, you know, because there <laughs> you know, the there's a certain yeah. style that developed in comics shorthand and developed for a reason, because you have to, you know, you have to meet deadlines and make a living. And, uh, and, 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 you know, there's all these guys that came in, I was describing that sort of second or third or whatever generation it is, they grew up loving comics, and they were there because they loved it, not because it was just a living. And yeah. they were bringing a little something else to the table. And eventually that paid off for them. And guys like Wrightson, you know, had a hard time doing a monthly book. I mean, he, 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 kept, he kept swamping going for a long time. But, you know, when you're putting that kind of work... It's really hard to do a monthly comic. It's just yeah. hard to maintain those standards. Was it like a case where sometimes we? I mean, obviously, when you start off and like you walk in with your I portfolio, I have walked away. When you're inking, you get it done. Yeah, and, and you it's walk away out from the it. door. I mean, I have put, I have put pages into FedEx boxes where the ink is literally what? wet, and I'm blowing on it, and the, I'm like, "Can you wait a minute more?" And no, you're just putting pages in into the box, wet ink, <laughs> <laughs> and sealing it up, going, please. Is and you put, like, a photocopy in between the pages so they don't bleed so it doesn't each other. Bleed in. Is that something that you, you went in right away, like, or is that something where you're like, oh, I, I don't want... It. I mean, obviously, it must be painful sometimes. Well, it's, like always a ma- it's, a, it's always a matter of, you know, I'll spend my time on this, I won't spend my time on that, whatever, but you have to find a balance. I don't think I've ever found it. I don't, do, I don't draw a regular comic because of that. Mike... Guys like <laughs> Mike Norton, people who do regular, you know, books on schedule. I'm always balance. astonished by that because I can't do that. We we we've been joined, uh, or Mike has has joined us. Mike I'm came into the shop, and uh, it's very timely. Mike, you you were a uh, uh, a freelancer for a very long time, and and just recently you've been signed to an exclusive contract with with DC. I've, and you have a reputation of being a guy that's 
never late. You're usually always either on time or ahead of schedule. And listening to Hillary, you know, with that balance of, of just trying to get it done or sacrificing. I mean, what what are your feelings on that end of it as far as, like, um, that's the only way you can be on time. <laughs> Quite <laughs> so frankly, it, yeah. I mean, seriously, I wish I could be. I have I have friends who 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 sit and they. I don't know the details of their their projects and stuff, but it seems like they take a lot more time than I do to do a page, and I'm extremely jealous of what they're able to produce. And uh, I I get mine done just because I'm. I, I think it's a mental thing. I think it's like an OCD. <laughs> I have to get. I can't break a record. You know. I have. I have to. Yeah. Have to get. Have it to done. get it yeah. done. And it 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 kind of drives you like crazy. Like nobody wants to be around you. Or you're. Uh, in my case, I'm just whiny to the point where people are just saying, "Shut the hell up." You know. <laughs> I just. I. I you're you're compelled to make the deadlines. Yeah. What you're saying. Yeah. Wow, that's a great compulsion there. It's I, well, it it it. I mean, if you're gonna have a problem, that's a good problem. Well, to have. it came. I mean, I I was like that when I was doing uh, not even doing comics, but when I was just doing illustration freelance for for advertising and stuff. I I don't know if it was beat into me by whoever it was I was working for. I had a lot of friends in the Memphis advertising industry, the yeah, you know, the big booming Memphis advertising industry. <laughs> but um, I. There's you, you're not late there. You you stay up until it's until done. it's yeah, done. Sure. I mean, I, when I was I used to work um, at an agency, and you know there were it was common. You see, we're we're staying here. It's Friday. We're staying. <laughs> we're staying until <laughs> it's done. We yeah, don't I even mean, have the job yet. This is like for a proposal. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> you want to get paid? You want to get fired? Yeah, you know, yeah. you got to stay. So I mean, I I think that had a lot to do with it. And, uh, I just I think on a personal level I think I uh, maybe I need to see a shrink because I can't <laughs> not do it. Just you know what? Uh, this is Hillary, and uh, <laughs> I, again, let me just tell you, it's a good problem to have. Well, no, I've because there you know there are a thousand reasons for being late. You right. found a good reason for right. being on time. Right. I'd I, say just live with it. And I, accept I, I, it I, I am. I'm living. I mean, be happy you're not one of us. There. Well, there are advantages. I admit. I mean, people always like you, uh, but. There are also advantages to, I mean, even if you, I mean, uh, forget the people that are like years late on stuff, but the yeah. guys who are who, who never hit the deadline but are fantastic, those are the guys you always hear about because well they're fantastic, I right? Mean, and so I mean there, there's always a, there's a, well, a give and take. And, there. and at the same time, drawing say if we're talking about detail or whatever, I mean right. whatever makes it take more time. It doesn't necessarily make it better that you spent more time on no, it. No, no, no. You know, Jack that's Kirby was a great true. artist, and spontaneity was part of what made him great. That energy that came from that, trying to get energy over the spending 20 days on a page, trying to capture that energy, probably wouldn't work. Right, right. But, right but at the same time, guys like Jim Lee are not going to be out of work because they're late on All Star. That, that's Batman, sort of what I mean. You know, or whatever. I mean by know. that, I mean those guys. Um, yeah. Those guys are always going to. And some. The, uh, it can be frustrating. The when publishers you're, sacrifice. That because right. of and their names, I mean, I mean and, and now and they more sell. than ever, obviously, right. well, when guys are sitting waiting around for a year for comics and stuff like. Well, that. that's what I was going to ask you, Hillary. Is, is yeah, was, well, I mean, when is I was, it more prevalent now? I don't think the problems that we're talking about even existed when I was a kid in the 1960s and before. People just weren't late. If they right. were late, they didn't work. 
Well, that's it. That you didn't it. work. We'll find somebody right. else to you, do you it. You drew a monthly comic, you draw a monthly comic. And there were very few guys, I mean, you know, a few artistes probably, you know, that, like, they, you know, they would draw an occasional issue of things. Uh, Who's calling Mike Norton? Stan <laughs> Dio. But that, I think, to be honest with you, I think that started in the same period I'm you talking drawing? about. It started in the 1970s when wow. you had this generation of artists who grew up loving comics and they wanted to do it because they loved the art form and they thought of themselves as artists and oh my name signed to this, this is a big deal it wasn't like the people didn't care about what they did before they were perfectionists it was less interchangeable well, like uh, the pieces become less well at the same I just right. that uh, the mentality of somebody wanting to make it the best comic book ever whatever just those problems if you want to call it a problem that became a, you know that became magnified during that period Listen to AroundComics.com podcast new every Monday. For once, you won't be lying to your parents when you tell them you're not looking at porn. Let's talk a little bit about uh, more about the relationship between an editor and a freelance artist. Uh, what's that process like? What you know? What? How does that work from you know? the beginning of a script and and getting the work done. I mean, is it, you know, we've heard a lot of stories of, you know, it's just like an editor's job is just to constantly scream at an artist until they get the work done. Is that, I mean, is that pretty much it? Or well, is that one, one inker at Marvel in, in the old days was famous for procuring prostitutes for the editorial staff. And that's how he got a lot of work, apparently. Wow. No way. <laughs> uh, oh, are you serious? I mean, even seriously? Though, even though we're talking about people that are no longer alive, I don't want to mention names. Well, sure. Just because, you know. I think there was mob uh, influence here, so I don't want to, you know. I, don't, I just don't want to even. <laughs> want a horse's That's head an embarrassing way to go out. Quarter books are going to get burned. That sounds like an, a, a, like an urban legend because it doesn't seem like it would be cost. Uh, like the return on investment cost, there. Cost efficient. Well, yeah, I mean, no, like I don't. Think, I didn't say he paid for them. Unless these are really. Oh, they just. Oh, our right. whole budget. Wait, was this an ink in ink or pimp? Are it's, we talking about like? Sal, don't forget that comic books literally were created on the backs of these publishers of softcore porn. All right. Well, there were guys. There were guys who would like would. See would guys. There were guys who were pulling scams because they had to pay off their gambling debts. You know, artists and. There's all sorts of crazy stories about how guys got work or something they're holding over an editor's head. That's all the colorful, fanciful side. Sure. The, re the real, I mean, the truth of it is you get hired for a couple of reasons. You have a relationship with your editor, you know, you can be friends, you know, you have some kind of professional thing that really works and you're, and there's a reason for them hiring you for commercial reasons. You're popular, they think you can sell a book. So somewhere in between those two, that's how you get work, right? They want, they want to hire you because they like you, they can trust you meeting the deadline as we're talking about. Right. Or, or, or the publisher's like, no, we're not hiring that guy anymore. We're going to hire these yeah. this guy. I mean, you know, you, you're popular. You sell books. Have you run into that issue of like, you know, for whatever reason, all of a sudden you're sort of blacklisted, or somebody oh. just doesn't like you, and and oh sure, no, my my art style is not going to. I mean, you're not going to see me draw on a mainstream Marvel or DC book, even if even if I could meet the deadline, <laughs> even if that wasn't the issue. They're not going to hire me because my stuff's too cartoony, right? So right. that's that that's out. Whereas, say in the 1940s, there were cartoony adventure strips, mm -hmm. and even today there are. I mean, the things have broken down. There's a bunch. There's a range of styles now, but you're still your sort of middle range Marvel DC wouldn't involve my kind of cartoony. It would involve certain specific type of cartoony influences. Manga, for instance, sure. became acceptable. They'll tell you, oh, we don't hire cartoony anymore. But, Manga, yeah. manga isn't yeah, cartoon. Well, I was going to say, Mike. I mean, I know you've you've talked in the past where you know you've had issues of people thinking of your style. Yeah, I've intentionally actually gone the opposite direction because of what Hillary's yeah. saying. Oh yeah. Because I mean, 
even though it, it's it's weird because uh, I was talking about this with somebody the other day. Uh, the general editorial consensus will say one thing, but the work will kind of say something, something else. else. You know, people will say all day we don't like, you know, uh, cartoony, but then you'll look at fifteen hundred books that, are right. <laughs> that that say otherwise. When you look at what sells too, right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, I mean, I I grew up drawing like cartoony and mm-hmm. I, I i was doing that and um well not i didn't grow up but i started drawing cartoony professionally that's what i was doing and uh uh you know you'd get i would get comments just like we don't we don't want to make their eyes too big and stuff like that <laughs> and uh um, i draw the heads too big oh really that's my, yeah that's <laughs> my, i've been th- at first comics they used to photostat them and shrink them down <laughs> Paste them Your heads? Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I have. Hillary's I've had got, anchor, a, Hillary's got a huge head. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I've got a huge head. <laughs> it's that reference of using a mirror. It's yeah, what's the problem? Come on. <laughs> it looks natural don't, don't to me. Don't I don't. Came from Easter Island. Come on. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. I, Not that you do. But well, I, I mean, that goes back to sort of like you know, <laughs> y- you get known for a certain thing, and and it's very hard to get out of that. You know, get that out of editors' heads. I'd imagine uh, of being able to change even if you it know depends. you can do I mean I think I've seen people that that managed to change but yeah I mean you do get I mean I, we don't think of Mike for this sort of thing right you know same I'm sure same for Hillary I mean but yeah well do you what I'm always curious about is are you ever conscious of like the style that you have like at some point when someone says oh you draw like this way and all of a sudden you look at it and you're like oh Oh, wait, I do, but I never thought of that before that. There are moments like that. I don't know if it's happened to you, but people have pointed something out, and, and I didn't quite realize that I was that influenced. Because I, I see my own work as a collection of influences. You know, yeah. I, I grew up studying different artists, wanting to draw like these guys, and then those Im- influences are all there in one form or another in my work. So I, and pe- when people tell me, oh, you know, you should, I can always recognize your inking. I, I don't know how they can do that. Oh, I can. <laughs> yeah, see, and I, and I don't. I, I, I think of it as, oh, this is just, just some how weird you're mix yeah. of all, yeah. like, oh, I'm doing this Wally Wood head, yeah. or I'm, this looks more like, you know, Joe I, w- I wonder if anybody can actually recognize that then, because, I mean, because yeah, you mean Do they see their own work as a uniform? Yeah. I don't see my work as a, yeah, maybe I see it as a uniform thing, Style. but that uniform thing is a, made up of different It's not entirely right, right, yours. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think of it as entirely mine. You're thinking yeah. of the influences rather than what it's actually in the book. Yeah. yeah, when I look yeah. at it, I kind of go, oh, yeah, that's a little yeah. you know, that's a little like this or a little like that or yeah. something. Yeah. Well, I Did can't. you draw a pinup for Dr. Goyle? Or oh, I, I co-created Dr. Goyle. That's right. Yeah. Okay, I was, so remember, I was trying to remember where, yeah, yeah. that's probably the first time I saw your name. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's the first time I saw it. Because I knew Stegbauer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did we met back then? We never met back then, okay. but yeah. I was okay. I, re- I yelled at Stegbauer for getting people that could draw the character better than me in the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. I mean, that was seriously when I was starting out, and it was probably the, well, some of the worst stuff I've ever done. And and then you look at these pinups in the back, and it's like, well, oh, you should have well, gotten well. these guys to draw the book. Yeah. <laughs> of course, it's the same guy who I showed up at the convention, and, he, and and the pinup I had drawn from was on a T-shirt he was wearing. I said, yeah. yeah. You put it on a T-shirt? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, well, is there one for me? He's like, uh, I don't, I don't You couldn't even get a T-shirt. Well, I'm like, you know. <laughs> it's like some guy I did some mini comic art for a guy. He just does all this stuff for free. It's just like these little comics, you know, they sell for a buck through the mail. 
And then I, he keeps putting it on mugs that he's trying to sell. Cafe Press. I'm like, uh, you can't do that without asking me. Right, right, he goes, right. I don't understand. I'm just promoting the book. Well, then ask me first, and I'll tell you whether you can using my artwork. You never paid me for the art, did you? You know you know what that little C in a circle means? It's like, oh, man, I'm going to have to take all those Spider-Man shirts and something like that. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I see some of that stuff. Oh, anyway, okay, good. No, I, I, I placed you in it. I was like, I know, yeah, well. Where did I first oh. hear you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, anyway, I'm not judging you by that. I don't. Oh, thank you. Please no, you don't. don't. <laughs> hey, I spent. You were. Were you here while I'm talking about my early work? It's all embarrassing. <laughs> I, I have. Well, that's the. You know, that's the. the, the you know, it, more artists that you know. And over the last year or so, we've talked to a lot of different artists and and creators and and at conventions and stuff. And it's like you guys are all. You have one unifying thing about all of you is you that hate you, your you hate your own stuff. <laughs> you guys, you're like the most self-deprecating, like you can't stand your own work. And I, and I, I guess you know, I can understand it to a certain degree, but it's like at some point, you know, are, are you ever happy with the work that you produce? Are you ever, uh, I mean, is there ever... You're going to have moments of going, oh yeah, that turned out. Yeah. But the things that I'm happiest about are things, you know, inking is something like when you're doing it right, it happens almost by magic, right? A line will happen and you go, it's better than I thought or your hand just jumps to the place you wanted to jump without thinking about it. Because when you're thinking about it, you're, you're controlling your hand from doing what it would do naturally. So when it works right is when you're not thinking about it. And can you imagine me not thinking about it? So, yeah. yeah I I did overanalyzing everything. So, so, it's, so I'm hardly ever in that place. But the guys who do it, they, it's a spontaneous thing. So it sort of happens and you have to kind of I don't know. I, I've gotten into discussions with people just about imagination in general, you know, because people are saying, oh, the idea just came to me. Well, like, do you take credit for something that just comes out of the ether? You know, comes out of the... Right. Where does it come from? Or where like does do an idea... Where do how does it occur to you? It's yeah, the you sum know. of your own references and experiences. Yeah, it's, but well, am it's I ever happy is your question. And uh, Yes, I'm not saying I'm never happy. <laughs> it doesn't last for long. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, but it's, it's no different than any other performance art where you know where you accidentally jerked and that line was wrong. And that might be the memory you have of, of X-Men well, the 28. Re the reason and even though the rest of the book is great, that's what sticks out for you. Because I know that's the way it is for TV and radio whenever I've done productions and stuff. And, and I'll fall into a happy accident, as you say, where you just let your mind kind of relax, and that's where the, the interesting things happen. And you can take credit for those and be proud of those. Spontaneity. Yes. Exactly. Well, the, the, the reason I kind of bring it up is that, you know, when we talked about this a little bit earlier, is that unlike almost any other industry, this industry's fan base is built of so many people that want to be in the industry. That want to either exclusively. Oh yeah, not me, man. Uh, well, that's why I like be a you pay so much. Cut. Like not everybody that <laughs> I mean, uses plumbing wants to be a plumber. Right. Is that what you're saying? Well, and 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 the I did when I was the interesting thing is that you know it's like you know when I was a kid I wanted to be a comic book artist and obviously it didn't work out. But I've you know it's like I've read every book there is to, about drawing comics. I've you know gone to classes i've gone you know i've listened i've talked to every you know artisan and it's like you cannot really answer the question of how how to be a comic artist or, or an artist in general it's a, and, and it goes back to what you're saying is it, it's those moments of spontaneity that you don't even know how to answer that question and it's amazing you'll go to like conventions and they'll have these these panels and guys will be talking about you know how to write a comic or how to draw a comic or and they can give you the technical information about it but that that leap from that to actually d producing something that other people enjoy is there's no path that you can follow to get there. Everybody's path is different, and it's it's 
it's just such an interesting thing to me because I've tried to follow. I, you know, it's like I've tried. My brain works in the way it's like, okay, if you give me a step-by-step guide to doing something, yeah. I can do it. Yeah. But, you know, it's like getting to the point where you guys have, have become, you know, successful comic artists and you, you yeah. produce these amazing works that I personally look at and just I can't imagine ever doing. It's like, you know, you cannot tell someone how to get there. And I'm sure you both have probably No, been I, I actually those. disagree in one sense. that I think, I think uh, almost anyone who talks about artists, they say there's talent, but then you have to develop it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... That's craft, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, Learning how do you develop it, and and in what's you know what's the talent based on? You're, you know, we're saying it's a your influences and what you do with it, right? Right. You know, hardly anybody springs uh, from nowhere. Um, but um, I think so, uh, you can be an artist and not be articulate or intellectual or whatever about what you do. You just draw mm-hmm. really well. <laughs> well, your your mind accepts <laughs> your mind might accept the concepts that you know. You can you can read the technical manual, but that doesn't mean you necessarily understand it. Without even uh, uh, understanding it on a conscious level, something clicks in your mind, and you're able to make it make it happen. And I think a lot of teaching is really just learning craft. Well, and certainly, and but that but, becomes but, but, the conduit where the talent can either come through or not. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's no different than music. I well, mean, that, can, I mean, that, and that's, sur- play, that's sort of that, that, I mean, that was sort of kind of what I was trying to say. I guess sure. I just didn't get to the point. Was that it's only about how hard you work at it. It's like you're not going to find an answer in a book. You're not going to find that answer in no, a, right. a, a I, panel at I'm a convention. A book right, though American comics, I mean, oh, actually I, the thing about <laughs> it is, is that in terms of instruction, American comics traditionally have had a really, rather poor academic tradition with the art. You know, our artists are more kind of by the seat of their pants. They learn how to draw comics by looking at comics. And in Europe, they have a better academic tradition. They go to schools where they teach you technical drawing. And they learn the technical things that then you can bring your imagination and creativity to. And now Mike's going to talk because I keep talking. And, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. So you're, you're, I don't know. You're 100% correct Mike's about boy. everything, Mr. Barda. <laughs> Mr. Barda. <laughs> sure. Mr. B. See, I, I think, I actually, I did suffer from too much ego early on when I was no good. I was like, I got there because I was blind to my faults, probably, because I would, like, do it. I'd just stumble into it. And think, oh, I can do this, and look at that, isn't that great? And I'm doing it, and then I like years later, as you know, as you start maturing or something, whatever that process is called, <laughs> you realize, God, I was terrible. Yeah, I, I was terrible. I think it's true, but I, I think that's almost weird if it's uh, in doing like improv in the city and also doing accounting, which is a funny way to tie this in together. Very creative process. When people process. first come into anything, they don't like like to be told that they're not doing something correctly or that they could do something better and that it takes a little while for people to start to mature to accept to be like I can improve I can like take criticism so I think taking criticism is something that up until you sort of get your job at doing what you do you're never really taught how to take well you may never be able to take but but self-criticism yeah you know being realistic and being able to assess your own abilities and stuff and you know that brings up uh, that's different I mean it's that brings up something I I wonder how you guys feel about is that do you like me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do you feel about me as well, a person? Well, for an accountant, you're not too bad. <laughs> um, I'm wondering what's it like getting. I mean, you know, what's it like hearing criticism from the people that buy the books and read the books, and and what is that? How does that affect you? Does it affect you guys in any way? Does it you know change how you approach? Working on books, does it, you know, I mean... Well, not everybody knows what they're talking about. So not not every opinion is equally valid, contrary to what a lot of people out there like Oprah would have you 
think. <laughs> Not everybody <laughs> is equal in their opinion. By it's all about being informed, you know. I mean, you know, just because someone doesn't like your art doesn't mean I'm, you know, I'm. If somebody who I admired didn't like my art, it would hurt me probably, right? I'd think, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's he, he understands art. Right. However, if you, thanks, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm just and uh, with that, uh, we have to leave Hillary. And no. Going back a second, I'm curious. I do didn't you guys mean that. I really did. I know. Have you guys ever compared notes to people who have had more formal training, Kubert School graduates or the School of Visual Arts in New York? I mean, there's there are some schools that are representative in the comics industry where you are being taught by you know uh, Mazzucchelli and you're being taught by the Kuberts and and all the various guys. So that, I mean, they're teaching craft. But have yeah. you ever compared notes to like graduates like that? Oh, uh, I mean, I know people that have gone through those schools, and I know people, you know. They they spent the time there and uh, and I've heard from those guys that they got a lot out of it. So well, I mean, I, yeah. But in terms of like asking them, hey, what are you struggling with? What do you you know what oh. what things don't, do you guys ever talk shop like that between each other? Like, you know, do what you, are you, do you ever go to see Lee Norton or somebody like that or Scotty and say, how would you guys you know approach this or I'm struggling? With, I'm struggling with you. Well, you're always showing your. I mean, you yeah. always show your stuff to right. another artist. Go, what do you think? You yeah. may not articulate. You're like, you, know, you may not say, what do you think about this transition from this sequence? Sure. Know, did I handle the uh, you know uh, the establishing shot correctly or right. <laughs> the point of is the point of view carried through? But you just go, do you like it or what works for you? And I friends, you know that objective eye, whoever was talking about before, somebody gives you, you know, like will point out something you hadn't thought about your own work. That happens. Yeah, you can someone can bring you outside of your perspective and say, oh, look at that. You see it for the yeah. first time that way, and it's a, you know, it can open your eyes to something you you were too close to see. Uh, I yeah, I do it every day. I, I probably send out every page I finish to yeah. one or two guys I know and see. Is this okay? Before I send it off to somebody. So going back to the the criticism, uh, not from you know peers, but from the fan base. Back um, to criticism. <laughs> well, no, I, I it, because it interests me as far as you know because I'm simply just a fan. I'm not in the industry at all, so it, I, I wonder, especially nowadays with the internet and and how much that has given a voice to so many more people. I mean, it used to be you know uh, you know letter pages. You know, uh, that's how you you said how you if, felt about if they were printed. <laughs> if, if they were if, if they if were the printed. Now it's like you know you, you know you can go to any message board and 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 find out you know Google your name and you know whatever and you'll find out what What's people. What's the think. internet? <clears throat> yeah, well <laughs> maybe he'll I, actually. I did Google myself once and, and and there was someone asking if Hillary was a girl or not or somebody was correcting somebody <laughs> She's saying, saying no Hillary's a guy I, uh, you know or whatever. Damn. So yeah, that that I've heard you know. Real life, I get that, and and, and on the internet. So. <laughs> but I can't escape it. Is it something that you know you are leery about? Is it something you look <coughs> out for? Is it something that you, that that you even care about? Is it something that you're you know even conscious of? I don't. I I am conscious of it, and I I mean I'm not a I'm not ashamed. To, well, maybe I am ashamed to admit that I. I mean, I do pay attention to that stuff. I don't think I can help it. You right. Know, I gotta. How could you not? I would like sure. to see if people actually like the work I'm doing. Um, I do have to keep in mind, and I've actually I've actually had conversations about this too. Is that the internet is not necessarily always the best gauge of how you're doing. 
because I mean they are the vocal minority. Right. You know yeah. they're I mean they're n- not everybody on the internet are are the people buying the comics in the first place. You know? Sure. And in the old days, the guys writing the letters were not your average reader. Right. They were the obsessed. They're the fan. One, yeah, they're the ones that actually yeah. took the time out to write a letter and mail it and like find the address, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Yeah, there are yeah. many people wrote there's letters that said, "You are the suck." Yeah. <laughs> exactly. T H the suck. I inked uh, Power Pack for a number of years. Uh, and I inked a few different artists on that book, uh, John Bogdanov uh, for the most part, but also um, June uh, Bridgman, who's yeah, you know, she draws uh, Brent Star now. Oh, cool. And anyway, it was this fan whose name I will not mention, but he wrote a letter every month, and it would go on. You know, I think the letters had to be edited down because they were longer than the letters column. But he wrote letter after letter after letter. He wanted to write the book. He kept, you know, he would go in about in detail about all the storylines. So I would write scene one. But he was also <laughs> hung up about the artist, and he didn't like John Bogdanov, who was the regular artist in the really? book. And he did like, professed to like, June Bridgman, who did the occasional film. Right. So they screwed up the, cre- you know, accreditation <laughs> on one of the books, and an issue drawn by John was credited as June, and, or and vice versa, and you know, they, they it was screwed up on a page. And he wrote in a letter, oh, see what I was telling you? I see how much better she is than John. Right. That's John. And that's they were so happy because in print they were able to say, I'm sorry, but we made a mistake and it was actually John. I mean, but this guy did not, he couldn't even recognize the difference between the two artists. Yeah. And they don't really draw alike. And. Yeah, I mean, so what you know, it's the opinion. What is the opinion matter? It's it's whoever is speaking. Well, it's like one person who's incredibly loud seems like a thousand, you know, of course, you know, much more than like always remember the negative stuff anyway. I mean, over the positive, because if you like something, like, not I think it's like a cultural thing of like, if I really like something, I may not necessarily go around and be like, hey, I love this, you know, like, I love this, you know, yeah, there's that old saying that if you're doing. Doing some, I mean, they're only going to complain if you're doing something wrong. Yeah. You know, so. Though, though, I mean, I think getting on a letters page used to be pretty easy if you told them how much you liked it. I mean, oh you know, well, yeah. They, they were, you know, they wanted to print. More, there was an editorial more, involved. Yeah, that, yeah, they'd print more letters like that no matter what was going on. Of course. But the fact is, we're you know we're artists. We have an ego. We're like anybody. If you were a painter and someone so they didn't like you know the wall you just painted. Yeah. Or they did. I mean, someone one would hurt you and one would make you feel good. And then we're the same way. Uh, you know, you want to hear positive yeah, feedback. If someone doesn't like a tax return I prepare, uh, but this is I'm hurt. And that I is very understand. different from going into a comic store and asking comic fans, what do you like? What do you like? You know, did you like this page? Do you like that page? And then basing your style on what the comic fans... Well, people buy right. shit that they don't even say, read. Which is what uh, <laughs> a one very successful <laughs> comic artist did once. So there you go. <laughs> You're going to have to tell me who that yeah, was. One of the founders of oh. Image Comics. No, really. <laughs> you have so many uh, skeletons. Um, Skeletors. What? Uh, you didn't spend enough time at bars at comic conventions. Uh, <laughs> I'm working on it. You have plenty of skeletons in your closet. Um, <laughs> skeletors. That's Tim Seeley. What? Uh, <laughs> what do you think is the biggest, you know, difference in the industry now as opposed to when you first started? Uh, There's more comics. There were a lot less... I mean, back in the 40s, there were a lot of comics. But in the 60s, I mean, you, you had Marvel and DC, and then there would always be some company trying to compete with them. Then you had Archie and Disney and, a, you know, Gold Key. You had a few companies that that never quite sold as well as the Marvel and DCs did when they were there at their peak. But, I mean, Disney's did fine. But, 
you've just got... I mean, I'm just looking at the racks around us in the store. I, I can't keep up with the amount of comics. Marvel didn't publish hundreds of comic books. It just it, it, I don't know how many comics come out from Marvel in a week now, but oh, or DC. I think no, a month. Either. It's like eighty a month, isn't it? Wow, I don't. Yeah, know. I think it is like. Yeah, 80, and I remember 80, looking at which the is down list. from a few years ago. And you look at when I you know first started reading comics was you know early to mid '60s, and the checklist would be one. It'd yes. be like there was yeah. there were just yeah. there were four or five books right. at the beginning, right? <laughs> yeah. And then there were seven books, and then all of a sudden there were twenty-five and fifty. You know, you can't possibly. You could have read all the Marvel comics very easily in those days. You could read them all, and the DCs, and probably do it on your... Well, maybe you could do it on your... your my allowance wasn't that good. So. <laughs> well, don't forget, too, back in the Silver Age, Marvel was having that distribution problem and had to dis- had to get their books through DC, through National, and were only allowed, like, 16 books, uh, you know, if that. And that's why you had... Tales, to a sus- sure. uh, Tales of Suspense, where you had both Iron Man and Captain America together. Because they wanted to put two characters on Right, right. So. This is Richard Starkings, and I'm just here to say that nine out of ten elephant men prefer to listen to around comics. Can you talk about what you're currently drawing, or is that top secret stuff? No. Um, actually, uh, I'm working once again with um, Bongo Comics. Uh, uh, Brian Posehn and uh, Jerry Duggan uh, wrote a... Uh, story for uh, Bart Simpson's Treehouse of Horror, so I'm drawing another one of those. That's great, man. And uh, the thing was, is it came in and I couldn't turn it down, and I've got some other work uh, already on the table, so I'm trying to juggle a few things. Bongo is awesome. It really is. I think really one of the unsung publishers in comics, because that stuff, man, you know, because we're not that far apart in age, think of all the licensed cartoon stuff that used to come out in the 60s and 70s, and it was crap. And The Simpsons is so much better, and it really is consistent with the voice of the actual did animated you not, shows. Did I you not read it. that Jetsons comic where Rosie strangled uh, No, and there, was, and there was charm. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There really was charm to the Flintstones and some of the Hanna-Barbera adaptations in its own way. And uh, you had good artists on the books and stuff like that, but the scripts were just kind of blah. I don't remember anything that was as consistent, you know. Well, I'm, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, we don't have to pr- uh, put down you know, previous comics to praise Bongo. Bongo's just great, and today there yeah, aren't John. too many good... No, don't I'm be not, so good. No, 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 he's no, cool. I, 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 don't, I don't, you know, I, I just... You're cool. What's great is that they're doing mostly humor. I mean, they do some non-humor. They publish a few other things besides Simpsons stuff. Really? Well, they, yeah, they... I didn't realize They that. do some uh, creator-owned stuff. I had no uh, idea. True. Maybe it's a different branch of the company. It's not Bongo. I, yeah. No, I'd take your word for it, but God. Am I wrong? I don't think so. No, I I, I don't know. If I don't know off the top of my head, but, but I know they've done a number of things done over the years. In, yeah. in the past, they've done. Yeah, I just thought they pub like not only the comic books, but they publish everything tied to the Simpsons and Futurama right. and all the graining uh, creations. Yeah, and they kept Futurama alive when uh, Fox was you know yes. kicking them around. Absolutely. And, and it's still going strong as a comic, and soon to be a direct-to-video movie. Yep. And of course, the Simpsons movie coming out this summer. Hot. Really? There's a Simpsons movie coming out. Yeah. You didn't know that? I did not know that. So really? Oh, we saw, they is showed it live like, action? Or <laughs> yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> Starring Indeed. Bruce Willis. Is yeah, line. exactly. No, Michael Chiklis will be Homer. Go. <laughs> 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 the, the entire thing looks like that Homer uh, in the Twilight Zone episode of The Simpsons. Uh, 3D. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that was actually very cool. <laughs> that, well, that was I love that. When he walks too. in the erotic cake bakery at the oh. end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I love Bongo, even if I didn't work for him. It's not, you know. 
but no, they're, they're good people, and cool. they're, gi- they're giving me another chance to screw something new up. So Hey, nice going on the Ramita tribute. Uh, oh, thank you, sir. That was really cool. That yeah. was really, really cool. That I did want to talk about that a little bit, because I, I know when I talked to you about that initially, you were, you, and this is something I wanted to find out from you about, um, you know, in, in the process of working on, on comics for Marvel or DC or whoever, whatever publisher it may be, uh, you, weren't, you weren't aware of what that was exactly going to be when it was published. I had, well, first of all, I just, hey, do you want to be a part of this John Romita tribute book? Right. So I thought there would be a bunch of stories dealing with John Romita, just like mine. Uh, I, you know, the story I, I did was written by Neil Gaiman. And uh, cool. so then yeah. the book came out. I mean, it's not my story. You know, I drew it. Anyway, the, the book comes out, and it's the only new story in there. And, right. and, there's, and there's a bunch of, you know, tributes yeah. written by people or, you know, transcribed <laughs> telephone <laughs> interviews or whatever they were. But, you know, I just kind of in the checklist. And it's so it's it, it was not exactly what I thought, but I didn't ask them what it was. So I was, you know, once again, I assume. Well, I guess I, I guess the question is then, I mean, how, how does that process work as far as, okay, you want to be you want to be part of this book. Here's a script or... Uh, how did the, how did it work out as far as you drawing that book for Neil Gaiman or off of Neil? Well, I think I think Neil for some reason wanted me to draw it. Neil and I have never met, uh, and he asked the editor to you know see if I wanted to do it. So I get I get the call and I say sure I'd love to do it you know and <laughs> but Neil hadn't written it yet so so I had no idea what it, what was. it was yeah. But I also what we were talking about is I didn't know what the book was really. Right. I didn't realize it was you know the kind of format it was so. But, but you figure I've done it I, in, in any case, and it was still a fun thing to do. Oh, you know, sure, fun, yeah. It's fun not script. And just trying to understand a little bit of the process more as far as um, how much information an artist may have going into a project. I mean, I, you know, yeah, as someone that might be, you know, either, um, you know, a signed artist or someone that's under contract for Marvel or DC opposed to a freelancer when, you know, projects come up here or there, you're not on a, a book, you know, on a consistent basis. We had, yeah. This was a case of deadlines, I think. I mean, if, if the, thing, the thing had been written, they just would have sent me the script. If I said, well, let me read it first. Probably, though, in this case, being, you know, Neil Gaiman being the writer and the fact that I hadn't worked for Marvel since I was part of that Clash Action lawsuit, which I <laughs> probably shouldn't talk about. They'll help to get me working for Marvel. Skip over that, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it was, yeah. <coughs> it's water under the bridge. A lot of painful, expensive water <laughs> under the bridge. But, uh, so, you know, I got the call, and I would have done it in any case. But it hadn't been written, and they were telling me, oh, it, it's going to have to get drawn on a pretty tight deadline here because the book's coming up. And I'm like, uh, but it's not written yet. So I agreed to do it, and then they gave me a little extra time because the thing came in almost on the d- date it was due. It, it was so late that I got the contract. I had to fax them the contract back. Because they were going to press that day, and they couldn't go to press until <laughs> I signed the contract. Wow. wow. So, you know, the art had already been drawn before I even, you know, they probably don't even want me to be talking about that in public. <laughs> technically, <laughs> now I own Stan Lee's head because I drew it before I signed the contract. Nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So if they ever make a movie about that, <laughs> there you, you go. It's <laughs> <laughs> all yours, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you worked with some pretty big names. Plus, I uh, guess uh, I own Jr. Junior now too, because I drew, drew him, him before, before I signed the contract. There you go. So, man, I, I think you got. I think uh, I could probably get more money a for, team up. for him than Stanley's head. Yeah. I'm not sure. Commission Randy Bone and get him making some bust stuff. So you can <laughs> a mini, a Stanley mini bust. <laughs> an original, an original Hillary Butter creation. Stanley's head. 
gosh, hey, look at that. It looks just like that. <laughs> so it actually ties in with bongo because I did it kind of an, as a nod to all those floating bongo heads, you know, the, the head yeah. in the jar kind of thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> like Al Gore's head and Spock, uh, they Leonard did, they did everybody. Yeah. Oh, We're yeah. all going to end up Senator with the jar. Senator was in there. Yeah. Marv Albert. So Neil Gaiman, Alan... Not in the same <laughs> one, though. Probably. Yes. <laughs> Probably, actually. Oh, God. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore, uh, you worked some pretty big names uh, in, in in comics. How do you... How, Gen- uh, Jen Ostrander's even... It's even a bigger name. Yeah. It's much yeah, it is more letters in, name. Yes, yeah. indeed. It's a larger it's a name. Stra- Scrabble name, absolutely. It's always written in bold. It's heavier, <laughs> and always. I'm sorry, I'm... Too we love silly. Jack. No, yeah. Jack, hey, that's right. Doing the yeah. Grimjack and London's and, stuff. And, and they're doing Grimjack again now. I'm, I'm talking to Doug Rice, and they're doing. Uh, he's going to be doing a uh, Munnins Bar story. Excellent, Ooh, fantastic. That, which I would love to do. And Officially, I'm so, uh, you know, hey, saying that. Throwing on, that out there. Did, wink, did, wink. On the whatever the this is. It's not time. air. What is this? Distilled uh, atmosphere here. Magic. Mun- distilled magic. Munnins Bar, based on a great bar that used to be on Cicero Avenue. Did you ever go to the Bucket of Suds? Of course. Shut up, boy. Joe, Joe I, I was, he lived there. I was in the bucket of suds once, and the guy, <laughs> John Ostrander the guy stabbed. <laughs> no, I was there with I was there with Ostrander and a few other people. Sure. And I had my back to the bar, and uh, the guy sitting right behind me, about a foot away, his head kind of lobbed back on the chair, and he died, like a foot away from me. Oh, <laughs> wow. And it was like one of the weirdest things. Because of course it was, it was horrible. Uh, you know, a friend's wife who's a nurse was trying to give him. You know, wow! Mouth to mouth Jeez. and all this stuff, but the, when the when, when the, the paramedics got there, he, they said there was nothing we could have done. He was dead on the spot. But yeah, it was just like, and then <laughs> you're sitting in a bar, of course, and we're all like drinking and eating pizza, and they were like, "Okay, so and Joe's like, "Well, uh, what do you have? He Not he what he had. Because he out, <laughs> right. Joe, Joe had nowhere to go, and this is one of his. This is an old friend of his. Wow. But apparently, he'd been a lifelong drinker. He probably strained himself over the years, but he. He he was dry. He'd been sober for many years, and was just sitting there drinking a pop and and passed out. Wow, uh, you know, man, yeah. All right, last call. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who's well, got that? Was the weirdest thing. another? Is that uncomfortable? <laughs> like twenty yeah. minutes afterwards, we're wondering what we should do yeah. for Joe because sure. it was his friend, and you know, we're like, you know, we didn't even want to leave. You know, uh, Joe funny. Dano, a real Chicago personality, was the jazz philosopher on uh, Chicago Public Radio for many years. Ah. In addition to owning uh, the, bucket the, of the, the bucket of suds, which. I'm telling you, man, it was right around the corner from WXRT, and right, that was my hang out for the XRT people. And it, the theater crowd went there, the comics crowd went there, and because John straddled both of those worlds, Ostrander, I think, and also um, uh, Del Close, yeah, and those, Close, and those guys, and Mike Grell would always hang out there. And then when they were filming uh, The Color of Money, uh, Scorsese and, and company all hung out at the uh, at the bucket. I ran across <laughs> a, uh, a an interview with you online that oh, uh, somebody had done, and, and in it was an interesting discussion about Watchmen. And uh, I think they had asked you the question because you had you. This was around the time when Splash Brannigan first came uh, around. Yeah. And uh, and they asked you about your feelings on Watchmen. I thought your your answer was interesting. And I don't want to put you on the spot. Like, yeah, what but was this your is answer? like Tim Russert and Meet the Press. You're going to read it to me now, right? No, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to read it. It's no, no, honestly, I don't remember the quote. No, no, no. The 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 to paraphrase your answer was you you felt that a lot of the while. Obviously, Watchmen's a, a, a great comic and a great read. You had also thought that you agreed with Alan Moore's opinion about it that it, in some way, had done uh, a bit more damage to the or as much yeah, damage yeah. to the industry as it had done good things. For the I mean, right. I mean, I, I think Alan has 
you know, I think Alan's uncomfortable. He's just uncomfortable with praise in general, right? I mean, he he likes to say, you know, he's he's just a, another writer out there working hard. Sure. So he's uncomfortable, but I think in that case, he didn't like that people were trying to do dark stuff because they thought Watchmen was cool and uh, you know Rorschach was this cool character. So all these characters came about that were trying to do this sort of nasty take on a comics yeah. characters. And he, you know, I think he felt pretty bad about that. But he, I think he, I think he once said something like, "Well, Watchmen was just another comic book, and it wasn't that big of a deal. He didn't know why people were all that excited, impressed about by it." it. <laughs> which is, which is, I'm not, I'm not going to call it false modesty, but right. I, don't, I honestly think he's, he is a modest person in that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to toot his own horn, so he's uncomfortable. But I just thought it was interesting, because I, I kind of, you know, you do, you see obviously that just sort of the dominoes fall after Watchmen, and, and how everybody, I think, and like I said, I'm sure you don't remember saying it, but one of the things you had said was, so many people afterwards were trying to emulate that as opposed to coming up with something original. You know, it's like everybody was just trying to do the next Watchmen as opposed to doing something more original. And I think that, you know, really speaks to what we saw for years and years and still see to some degree. Mm-hmm. Not nearly as much, but we saw for years and years and years just people trying to do the next Watchmen. And it really, while it's no fault of Alan Moore's, obviously, he just wrote a comic that everybody tried to, you know, that, yeah. that was good mm-hmm. enough that everyone wanted to emulate. Right. But what, but I mean, I think he was reacting to the sort of dark kind of pessimistic <clears throat> side and he certainly has proved that that's not all he's about oh yeah prior to Watchmen he wrote just absolutely wonderful Superman stories that are a hood and yeah. since the, m- almost all the stuff at, uh, oh, the, all, all the ABC stuff yeah. is, the ABC is stuff sort of a, bright, almost like an answer to sort of you know what he saw as negatives in comics he was it, it, maybe Top some strong. of it was kind of old-fashioned sure. fun, but it was just fun in general. Yeah, yeah Jack, be quick. Yeah. I mean, obviously Splash. I mean, yeah. you know, especially when, American's when best I comics. Had uh, stopped reading tomorrow stories. When I had stopped reading comics for a little while, and the only thing I was getting was the Flash because I always got the Flash. It was actually the uh, the Tom Strong books that got me back into reading That's cool. more and more stuff. Yeah, it was those just, are wonderful books. Yeah. yeah, they're like the most. They're the completely most like distilled stuff of what's great about old comics, but. It kind of sheds away, I think, a lot of... If you pick up, like, an old comic, you might get, like, a weird... You might get a weird, you know, like the Fantastic Four, like, we have to beat the communists to space. And that kind of throws people off sometimes if you kind of, you know... If a lot of times dialogue is just, you yeah, know, whether it, it's campy or... It takes or, all the or, cool stuff out of, the like, the Fantastic Four and all those old comics and just says, this is, you know, how much fun you can have with all these old ideas and all this stuff. And it's still very vital and still works and it can still be an interesting story. I, I think the legacy of Watchmen really did extend until, like, the early 2000s. And I think things like even... Uh, if in a crisis and, I, and uh, everything that DC has been trying to do to kind of brighten their universe because things got so dark. You know, when Batman's back was broken and Superman died, and I mean, the the entire image boom, all of that came from in the wake of Watchmen, and, and yeah, pr- portraying heroes as these grubby, ugly, deconstructive things. You had, you know, the retelling of Green Lantern's uh, origin, where all of a sudden he's a drunk, you know, he yeah. drunk driving incident, and he's in jail and stuff, and it's like, what does that have to do with Abin Sir? Like, you know, what crashing happened? in the desert and you know pulling out the ring and everything, you Why? know? Yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> Why with the drunk driving? But, but um, it, that's what turned me off really uh, for com- from comics uh, in the early '90s. I wasn't really turned on by the whole image craze. I, I checked out, and um, 
because I got tired of the the Watchmen rehashes and things. And it wasn't until a new bunch of guys in the like 1999 period that they brought me back, you know. And it was guys like Bendis and Brush and back those guys. in exactly like much like Mark Michael Corleone. And once again, because I saw something old, I thought of you, Hillary. Um, <laughs> Terry and the Pirates. Are you a Terry and the Pirates fan? Uh, well, no, I know that he reads a lot of older strip stuff and a lot of old. You know why? In yeah, fact, like, the last time, like I, the last time I, yeah, the last time I saw Terry and the Pirates, actually, I went up to Milwaukee. They had an absolutely, I don't know if you guys made it. Yes, it's absolutely amazing show on. It was on comic strips and just sort of included comic books. It was mostly the history of comic strips, and there, you know. What the ten is most essential uh, yeah. comics artists of yes. all time, and Kniff was one of them. Oh, yeah. And they had just you know one original after the other, and it was, it was great. But the show you should talk. You, should, you you could have gone to that show and done weeks just on that show. Just talking about. I just sat in front of. I didn't want to leave. I was only there unfortunately for one day, but I wanted to just stay in front of. I mean, I, stay to make Eisner forcibly leave, and you, leave. you know Kniff and Kirby, you go back to you go back to Windsor McKay and, and all these. Uh, comic strip artists from the beginning. Uh, Foster. Yeah. Well, they're collecting. Foster, they're, was, they're, um, Foster was not represented. They're collecting all the. Foster was okay. not represented in the show. Well, I was just going to mention they're they're collecting all the Terry and the Pirate stuff. IDW's collecting all that. Just like so. they're doing with Dick Tracy. And yeah, Peanuts. And Peanuts, and Peanuts is the other. Publisher. Well, Peanuts is Fantagraphics. Garfield. Uh, but they're doing <laughs> Terry and the Pirates. Terry and the Pirates is great. It's a great strip. I mean, you know, strips go on for. In the case of something like Terry, I don't know how long that went on for. Is it twenty years? Until yeah, well, he went well, just with Steve Canyon in the fifties. Well, yeah, he uh, it wasn't thirties, forties. Actually, it was in the it was in the late forties. He uh, rode that pirate craze for a while, and it was because uh, Tribune wouldn't <laughs> give him the hot pirate guys. <laughs> You know, no, it was, you know, it was, the hot it's, pirate like, it's fad. like what we make fun of with the Hardy Boys, like yeah. they're always fighting smugglers, but no, it was, it was great, and it was very well, contemporary. Well, once the war was over, they had to kind of fight. Them. What are they going to yeah, do? Yeah, but it was, it was a oh, very, it was a very contemporary strip, much in the same way that Dick Tracy was dealing with gangsters, Terry and the Pirates was international intrigue, and it, it followed on with, uh, with Kniff uh, doing Steve Canyon, and dudes, I'm telling you, it's great stuff, and it holds up. It's fun. In terms of his art, uh, Kniff... You know, picked up where somebody like Noel Sickles had started this more dramatic approach in comics. Uh, it wasn't like it didn't come out of illustration. It was its own unique way of drawing to comics. You know, real bold brushstrokes, use of blacks, and great storytelling. You know, I mean, <laughs> things that weren't done. You know, big establishing shots that were silent. You know, just showing the scene because constantly they were traveling to the east you know the far east the far east the far the orient they might call it the furious orient that we know so little about you know it would just be a scene of a bizarre well this is what 1930s right mid 1930s and 40s and and it's really really a fun I mean there's a strip you know it just makes you feel like a boy you know a kid again right because it's like written from that adventure perspective because everything is fun and there's intrigue and yeah Pat Ryan was the adult and Terry was the kid and was kind of the, si- the boy psychic, but really the hero of the story. And who so played the pirates? No, <laughs> Lots of people. And of course, Lots they had the, the dragon lady. Which the, the greatest thing in the world, uh, Peter Bogdanovich interviewed Orson Welles, and Orson Welles, uh, as proven by a uh, uh, parody or a little April Fool's joke that Mark Millar played a couple of years ago, huge, huge comics fan. Orson and, Welles? Yes, and had uh, an original painting of the dragon lady. Done by Kniff, and he's like, ah, oh, Kniff was a master and an incredible storyteller. And he's like, wine? Seriously, like, Whoa! in the same reverence that he had for great filmmakers like John Ford and 
and uh, D.W. Griffith and that. That is how he spoke of, of Milton Kniff. And, wow. Oh, what a master. And really. And Winston McKay. And he literally is like talking about Winston McKay and, and Crazy Cat Ignat. So what, what wonderful, whimsical. Ferris Bonnie Google, of course, that was years ago. <laughs> but, you, but you know, but you, if if you like somebody like Alex Toth, people like sure. that, it's y- yes, you know, Kniff is like the pinnacle of that that school. Yeah. It's it's interesting too because again, Eisner, Kirby, those guys, they all wanted to be Kniff. Yeah. It's so funny that they are the masters right. that we all remember, and it's like their Hall of Fame was Foster, Kniff, Sickles, these guys, and and that is who they aspired to be. They couldn't get syndicated strips, so they had to kind of settle for comics. You know, back then. Oh. And, and no, and it's and yeah. now isn't it interesting how the tide has turned because you look at somebody like Syndicate. Frank, like Frank Cho, who had a, a, a decent right. deal for Liberty Meadows as a syndicated strip, and you know, really said, the, hey, well, I'll go it's, to as as new, newspapers drop like flies, and the comics I think you know only represent two to three pages of and now it's in the web newspaper. comics. Am I looking yeah. at? It's it's changing. Ross Andrew or Jerry Grandinetti or somebody like that. I mean, who am I looking at? <laughs> you know that's good. We should. It's too bad this isn't a video because uh, Thomas pulled out one of his uh, Silver Age comics. Uh, one of his quarter books he bought. Tom, why don't you uh, you you would uh, if for for people that weren't here when we before we started the show. Um, when Tom came in today, Mark had uh, pulled aside four boxes of new quarter books that he had found, knowing that Tom and John would be uh, more than happy to go through and pull oh, out man. a lot. And I think I believe you set a new record. Eighty-six for your quarter books. Eighty-six quarter That's books today. One of them is uh, Challengers of the Unknown issue seventy-one. Seventy-one. Uh, it has perhaps the greatest letters cent- page. <laughs> it has the, one of the best letters. All three of the letters are would be fifteen cents. Would truly, it? Yeah, okay. fifteen are truly fantastic letters. Um, the one there is one that is a real standout. Please, and, uh, <laughs> I will do this. Just save me the ad to to uh, subscribe to Grit. Uh, the right, yes. Because I'd really if like we were to. Put would a, you like to buy an issue of Grit, John? <laughs> if we were going to put a bed of music under this, what would we choose? Uh, please, an interesting siren, question. Good. Yeah, please. Uh, my rights here. Let's talk about that after I read it, because I think (laughs) you heard some of it, but you have no idea where it's going. (laughs) Dear Editor, and this is is a letter to the letter column of Challenge of the Unknown. What's the letter column called? Let's Chat with the Chals, which is a little bit of a weak title for the... (laughs) But they were the Chals back then. Challenge of the Unknown. Uh, Doctor... (laughs) Doctor Editor. Dear Editor, not until I read the letters page in number 69 did I realize why the Challenges of the Unknown is so special to me. I, too, am living on borrowed time, so to speak. <laughs> Until now, I never considered my experience important, but in the light of the challenger's brush with death, I look back on it with awe. It occurred about 11 years ago, when I was 4 years old. I was playing near our house with some kittens, and for no reason at all, I suddenly <laughs> rose and strolled over to my mother, who was sitting on the porch. I had only taken a few steps when there was a great crashing of brush and a full-grown bear ran right over the spot where I had been playing <laughs> and continued over the hill until he disappeared. Where did he live? If some force hadn't made me move, I'd surely have been crushed. What a harrowing experience! So Never shall I forget that bear pounding over the spot where I had been a few seconds earlier. Lonnie Thompson, Iron Gate, Virginia. A.K.A. Bear Man. <laughs> bear Man. This is just like Bruce Wayne, man. Instead of the bat crashing through, it was the grizzly. I, I shall be a bear. I shall I love, I love strike the fear in all those in the woods. Made me move. <laughs> some force. He moved! <laughs> 
He was a strange. A bear was coming at him, and he moved. No, no, it wasn't that simple. I like that. Some force. He was playing with kittens. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, the bear wanted to play with the kittens. No, the best part though is the bear isn't attacking anyone. The bear runs by like it's a car driving. Excuse me. Not I would have been attacked by the bear, but I would have been trampled by a bear. So I didn't write a letter to the challengers of the unknown about it, but I was hit. By a bear in the face once. <laughs> really? This is a like true story. This is a true story. It's not playing with kittens. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was Only working you. on my pole list at the time. Obviously, see that strange force didn't <laughs> yeah. make you move out of the way of that bear. Well, what it was is we were at uh, I think it was Yellowstone. Me and my family, and we were in a VW bus, and they had the sliding door uh, mm-hmm. at the time. Sure, sure. And on that sliding door was a window that worked on a hinge. It would it would it would open by turning, not by rolling down. Was it a bubble window? No, no. Okay. It was, it's like a, it's like a it, yeah. It's like this rectangle. Yeah, it's like right. a vertically oh, I know uh, yeah. uh, rectangle. Uh, anyway, Go ahead. Um, so no, the uh, the bear. You know, they've been telling us don't feed the bears, don't feed the bears when you, you were entering the park, and so we weren't going to feed the bears. And ahead of us were people like shaking cereal boxes out the window. The bears <laughs> ah, here you go. leaving them a trail. The bears are just sitting there. There's like two or three bears just sitting there, you know, getting food from cars. So we're like, my mom's like, roll up the windows, roll up the windows, close the window. So we close, you know, the windows were closed except for this little vent window, which <laughs> I'm thinking it's a little vent window, right? We, you know, and I'm, I'm bear can't I'm, get I'm, through I'm, that. The bear goes flump. He, he jumps and he sort of flops his feet up onto the side uh-huh. of the, Where's the, my the car and is looking in the window at me, right? <laughs> and this, you know, bear's this is like a full-grown bear, you huge. know, yeah, oh, this yeah. was this is one of the adults, and and the thing before I could think about doing anything about it, the, the bear's arm was through that little vent window <laughs> Holy got it it got to the elbow bent and slapped me right in the forehead <laughs> wow. and I went I went back and down because how you, know, you just got slapped I'm a bear. I, was a, I was probably like a preteen or teenager wow. you got slapped in the face by I got bear. slapped in the face slapped by slapped and you know like it scrapes from his fingernails the claws look at you take your head off well yeah a little lower it might have been my neck I just thought there were character lines on your head Hillary yeah I if no I had been moved okay. to the one side or the other I made it the claws would have but he wasn't trying to hurt me he was just trying to get another box of cereal sure. <laughs> trying to get that bag of kittens he, yeah. he wanted more I tricks have, I have yeah. absolutely no sympathy for people that go out into the woods and and get Taunt bears? Yeah, and like <laughs> get mauled by bears because you know what? Well, it, it's your I own mean, damn fault. I, yeah, it forest. is. You know, get the says ranger south. I'm sorry. You know what? <laughs> no, no, no. You enter a <laughs> right. no, no. The yeah. mostly mostly people that get attacked by bears have provoked that bear in some way. It's well, not like you're just walking along and a bear no. jumps you and kill and, no, no, and no, mauls no. you. People can get hurt if you're if there's a child. You know, there's a young bear cub involved. You, you, that that's where the problem arises often. Oh yeah. And and if you're caught in the wrong situation, you're walking on a trail like on a, a mountainside. You can't get off it. And the well, bears certainly. There, I'm not saying everyone, but I'm yeah, saying no, a lot of times they would they would even you know they, once once this happened, we were like we want to know more about the danger of bears, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I'm walking, everywhere I go, so in you the wrote a letter to challengers of the. I'm looking around, you know, I'm, I'm thinking there's a bear hiding behind every rock, you know. <laughs> well, that was uh, a lot more information than I had planned on originally on the show, but a lot of good stuff. Thanks uh, to to Hillary and Mike who stopped by, and of course John and Thank you, boys. And, uh, and Tom. But uh, uh, let's go ahead and end uh, with all of our announcements here. We have a... Uh, uh, if you'd like to discuss this week's show or just about anything else, you can uh, visit us at www.aroundcomics.com where you'll find various ways to communicate with the Around Comics crew. You can uh, call our hotline. Uh, you can call it at 1-888-65-GCAST. Leave us a message and we'll play it on the show. 
You can send us an email to news at aroundcomics.com, or if you'd rather contact us individually, you can send emails to Sal, Chris, or Tom at aroundcomics.com. And while you're at aroundcomics.com, drop by the farm and join other listeners in the ongoing comic book discussion, argument, love fest, <laughs> available 24 hours a day. And, uh, and while you're there, if you'd like to help us uh, spread the around comics love there's plenty of ways to do that uh you can uh join the listener lcs challenge there's a flyer on the show or i'm sorry on the site that you can download and uh, print out and put it in your local comic shop and if you do let us know we'll uh we'll read the name and address of the of the shop on the show and put it on our website uh you can uh, go to comic space comicspace.com slash around comics be one of our virtual friends or you can do the same at myspace.com slash around comics or chris's favorite you can leave us an itunes Review. We're at 100 now. Are we at 100? Yeah. We got oh Well, that's good. Way to go. Fantastic. Uh, we are also proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Find more great podcasts at comicspodcast.com. And just so everyone is aware, we post the next week's topic on Tuesdays at our form at aroundcomics.com. Although this Tuesday I forgot to do it, so yeah, it wasn't actually it's there. Not that good. Uh, this episode is presented by InStockTrades.com. Waiting for the trade has never been easier. InStockTrades.com offers a huge selection of the collected editions you need. InStockTrades.com is your source for trade paperbacks, selects hardcovers, Essentials, showcases, archives, absolute editions, omnibus editions, and more. All at great discounted prices. And remember that all orders are $50 ship free. Whether you're buying an absolute edition or catching up with showcases and essentials, InStockTrades.com is your new best friend. And also, we are proud to help support the Hero Initiative. Hero creates a financial safety net for yesterday's creators who need emergency medical aid, financial support for essentials of life, and an avenue back to paying work. It's a chance for all of us to give back something to the people who have given us so much enjoyment. For more information, visit www.heroinitiative.org or call 310-909-7809. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. Of course, thank you. Hillary Varda, John Suntress, Mike, Mike Norton, Norton, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, thanks to Mark for at Dark Tower for hosting thank us you. as always. Everyone have a fantastic week. We'll be back again on Thursday with another, or I'm sorry, we'll be back again on Monday, Monday. with a new episode. In the meantime, in between time. we'll be <laughs> everywhere in and around. around. A Comic. heavily edited episode. <laughs> <laughs> like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com or visit the contact us section of our website. Music for the show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and do not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next time, and the panel will change, but our mission will stay the same bringing you the very best news, reviews, and opinions in and around comics. Around Comics is a Pipe Dream production. Copyright 2007. All rights reserved. Love you, baby. Yeah.